culture doesn't think a whole lot about the need of purification because our cultural goggles tell us that you're okay and I'm okay and everything's okay right but for those of you who are here tonight and you put your faith and trust in Jesus you realize that the problem is as we often think everything is okay until we look at things from a different vantage point the vantage point of a holy God and we realize oh man there's all sorts of things that aren't okay When preparing food, it's good practice to wash your hands, the food, and make sure the area you're working in is clean. There's a clear reason why we should follow these steps. It keeps everyone safe and healthy. Today, Pastor Daniel is going to lead us through a detailed description of the sacrifices made by the children of Israel. Not only was the process an act of worship to God, but we'll find that spiritual purification serves a similar purpose. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, Purification Laws. All right, let's open up in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 19, as we continue our study through the Bible. So that's the book of Numbers, chapter 19. So if you're new to the Bible, Numbers is relatively easy to find. It's the fourth book in your Bible. I want you to be able to find that. I want you to be able to read along with what this, what we're seeing here. We've called this series Wilderness because we're continually confronted in this section of the book of Numbers with the fact that the children of Israel are both literally in the wilderness as they're in those wilderness wanderings from the time that they left Egypt until they're going to end up in the promised land. But if you recall, if you've been traveling, there's been so many issues that only two of the people who left Egypt in God's great deliverance in the book of Exodus are actually going to make it into the promised land. And that's Joshua and Caleb. And so we're seeing all of the failings of the children of Israel and the great faithfulness of God. And that's an important lesson for all of us, isn't it? That we fail continually, but God is faithful continually. But our failings do have consequences. And we're seeing that in and around this section of the Bible. Now, in Numbers chapter 19, we're going to see a series of purification rituals. And it's really easy, if you've ever read this section, and we're going to read it tonight, for a contemporary person to see this as some sort of uh, mumbo-jumbo, just like kind of primitive ideas about uh, magic and unsophisticated ideas. But we always have to be careful of looking at the world through a set of cultural goggles that assumes that it's better than what happened in the past. And the reason I say that, uh, C.S. Lewis spoke about that. You guys know C.S. Lewis, the great writer and teacher and and philosopher. And uh, it's about the preferences for your own culture. And the problem is, is that we're so used to seeing the world through the goggles that we see it through that we have a tendency not to be able to be uh, self-reflective of our culture. And so we always assume that our culture is doing great 
and that every culture that preceded us just didn't have a clue what was going on. Now, that's a great position, except for those of you who are, let's say those of you who are over the age of 70 right now, you look back on your parents' culture, you thought they were nuts, right? Anybody ever had... Am I the only one? I remember my grandma. So my grandma's a loving lady, right? Every time she gives my sisters like some parenting advice, like, you can't do that, grandma. You know what my grandma said? This is great. When a baby's teething, she's like, you just take, put a little whiskey on their gums. How many of you heard that as a, yeah, oh yeah. Child abusers, right? Like back in the day, that's how you dealt with that. But today, be like, you can't do that, you know? And my grandma's like, I don't know how you all made it here. I got grandkids. I'm surprised I didn't kill you off when you were little. What do we know? Because what happens is that in each generation, you look at the previous generation, like they got it all backwards. All the young people there are like, oh man, our parents' generation, they don't got it right. And guess what? When they get older, their kids are going to say the same thing and on and on and on. What we're going to read, it's going to be real easy for you to say, oh, this is just like primitive mumbo jumbo. What do these people know? But what we're going to see tonight, although unique We would never really probably do this in our culture, but it's going to teach us some of the deepest truths and understanding that they had for their own culture and and the world as it exists, because everything we're going to see is going to be focused around the idea of the need of purification, the need of purification. Now, our culture doesn't think a whole lot about the need of purification because our cultural goggles tell us that you're okay and I'm okay, and everything's okay, right? But for those of you who are here tonight and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you realize that the problem is is we often think everything is okay until we look at things from a different vantage point, the vantage point of a holy God, and we realize, oh man, there's all sorts of things that aren't okay. I have all these things that I've done that I realize now are not okay. And so it's deep in the worldview of the Bible that God can acknowledge when things are wrong and God has a plan to make them right. And in these verses in Numbers 19, we see one of the forerunners or the originating pictures of what God was going to do in his finished work on the cross in type and symbol and shadow in the way the children of Israel went about their daily lives in regards to when things went wrong and what happened. So this is going to sound kind of strange for us, but... It's got deep, deep, profound truths. So let's jump right on in. So Numbers chapter 19, picking up in verse 1, it says this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, speak to the children of Israel that they may bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest, that he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest, verse 4, shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned, and the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall bathe in water. And afterward, he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes. 
in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel, for the water of purification, it is for purifying from sin. Verse 10, and the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. Now, kind of unique, right? This is another one. And, and if you've traveled with us over the last now about two years since we started that Exodus narrative, the Sinai narrative in Exodus 19 and 20, and we've been going straight through, you've been seeing a lot of these different rituals. We, we saw the sacrifice series, the first 10 chapters or, or eight chapters in the book of Leviticus, all the different sacrifices. Now we have another example of there is a specific purifying formula, and God is very specific as to God's desires for this. I don't know how often when you read the law of Moses, that law which shows us God's righteous standard. If you're traveling with us in the book of Galatians, we learned that the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It's our tutor to usher us into the presence of Jesus. God is always so specific. Why? Because God cares about how we worship. He cares about our lives. And God doesn't leave a lot of things in gray areas that this is acceptable and this is not. This is how I want you to be. And for many of us, we struggle with that, don't we? We kind of want God to just let us be however we want to be. And as I always say, God accepts us just as we are and he loves us too much to keep us that way. And so God wants to take his word and teach us, hey, this is what I want. This is how I want it. And so there's very specific instructions here. Now notice, the Lord in verse one speaks to Moses and Aaron. So now you have Moses as the mediator for God with the children of Israel and at this time, and then Aaron, who was the functioning high priest. God speaks to both of them, and he says, this is the ordinance in verse two of the law, which the Lord had commanded, saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer. Now, a uh, heifer's not a common word in our culture. And it was funny. I actually had to look it up because I always heard the word heifer as a derogatory term growing up when people were being mean to somebody else. And I actually never knew what it meant. So literally I started reading the Bible. I'm like, oh, I got to figure out what that means. So a heifer was a female cow. Now I know all of you are like, oh, you got to know. I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> the only cow you saw in New Jersey was literally the cow that you're buying in the store to take home and make some, some burgers. Okay. So I ne- no cow experience for me. So I didn't know that, but, but this is a reddish brown female cow. And notice what it says without blemish in which there is no defect and on which a yoke had never come. So notice this is again in God's formula for sacrifice. It always has to be a perfect offering, one without defect and without blemish. Why? Because we know that all of the sacrifices culminate in God's perfect son, Jesus, right? And Jesus, they inspected Jesus all through the gospels. And Jesus said things like, I always do those things which please my father. And when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians in the gospels, when they tried to catch Jesus in his words, they would always find he has done no wrong. And so the sacrificial system focuses on 
pure sacrifices, sacrifices without defect. Now, why else does God want perfect sacrifices? Because God knows that the heart of humans are greedy. And so you look at all of your flock and you want to give God an offering, and you'd say, which is the ugliest, most messed up one? I'll give that one to God and I'll keep the good stuff. Isn't that the way humanity is? We all struggle with giving God our best. We always want to give God our worst, right? We just want to, we'll give God whatever we don't want. It's kind of like when, I don't know if they've ever done it here at Crosses. I'll never forget one time, like, oh yeah, we'll do a church-wide garage sale. You know, and you figure, man, people are going to, they're going to bring stuff. And everyone brought like the stuff that they couldn't even bring to the dump. They brought to the church. You know, it's like, oh, the church, do. oh yeah, we'll give them the junk because we just need to get it out of here. Right? Instead of saying, man, no, no, we want to give God our best. And so God wanted to make sure that we're always reminded that God deserves our best. God deserves our best because he's God. And the whole idea of the first fruits and all these things is God gets the best. He gets the first fruits of the harvest. He gets the first fruits of our energy. And we've been talking about that a lot as we've been here in this section. So it's a reddish brown female cow without blemish, without any flaw, without any defect, and on which a yoke had never come. This is a cow that had never been saddled for work. So again, the idea is not a used up cow, not a cow that's on its last leg, so to speak, but one that's in the prime of its strength. The idea that Jesus has a young man, I mean, 33 years old, was a sacrifice. He was in the prime of his life. When you think about it in Hebrew terms, a priest would begin his ministry at 30 and then he would retire and start to mentor at 50. So Jesus, had he been from the tribe of Levi, would have been in the first few years of his ministry, in the strength of his ministry. So God likes sacrifices that are hearty sacrifices. Now notice in verse 3, It's really interesting. You shall give it to Eliezer the priest that he may take it outside the camp and it shall be slaughtered before him. And then in verse four, and Eliezer the priest shall take some of its blood with its finger and he shall sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood and its offal shall be burned. So notice, now we have Eliezer who is the the son who's going to take the high priesthood from his father Aaron is now involved in this. So God is telling Aaron and Moses, we're going to find in the next chapter, Numbers 20, that Aaron is going to die and go home to be with the Lord, and Eliezer is going to be installed as the high priest. So Eliezer is now involved in this. He takes the red heifer, this reddish-brown cow, and he takes it outside the camp that it shall be slaughtered before him. So this is not a slaughter that's going inside either the tabernacle, the outer courts, or even within, um, closer to the inner courts. This is going on completely outside the camp. And then when it's slaughtered, Eliezer comes and takes the blood and sprinkles it seven times before the tabernacle of meeting. So before the tent that sat within those outer courts. Now you guys know, we've talked about a lot. The number seven in the Bible is, is it means what? It means completion or perfection. God created the world in seven days. The idea that it was a complete work. So seven pops up often. And so this seven times ritual, you think about another complete work. Remember when Peter came to Jesus and said, if my brother sins against me, Lord, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times. And Peter was thinking to himself, man, I am such a forgiving person. 
And what did Jesus say? No, no, no. I didn't say seven times. I said 70 times seven. And you guys know that Jesus wasn't saying, okay, forgive him 490 times. And if he hits 491, don't forgive him. You know that that's not what Jesus meant, right? Jesus is, he's meaning, listen, I want you to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive without end. He's like, forget your seven times. Peter thought he had it going on. No, infinitely more. Forgive infinitely more. And so seven times this blood is sprinkled. And then notice in verse five, then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. All of it, it's hide, it's flesh, it's blood, and it's awful shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire that is burning the heifer. Now, this is really interesting. Three different things, cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet. Now, what's interesting is because, again, this is a purification ritual, and the red heifer is also, as all the sacrifices are, a picture, a shadow of Jesus, the idea of why would you throw the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet in there? And there's different fragrance reasons for it. But if you think about when you think about the sacrifice of Jesus and you add wood to it, what is wood a picture of? The cross, right? Hyssop. Do you remember that hyssop showed up in the Passover celebration? That when they, when they slaughtered the Passover lamb, they used hyssop to be what was dipped into the blood and applied to the doorposts of the house. And in the Psalms, you get, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Most Bible commentators would tell you that hyssop is a picture of faith because faith is what takes the blood of Jesus that has been given for you and applies it to your life. The application of faith. See, and this is important because Jesus, when he died, there was enough power in his death and resurrection to forgive every single sin of every single person who ever lived. But what applies that powerful grace and forgiveness to our lives? Faith. So faith is the applicator of the finished work of Jesus to our lives. And that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. While we are saved by grace through faith, it's not ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you have the cedar wood, which is a picture of the cross. Of course, you have the hyssop, which is, is all applied to our lives by faith. And then, of course, the scarlet thread. You've ever heard the scarlet thread that runs through your Bible? It speaks of the blood of Jesus that cleanses a person from all unrighteousness. All of this thrown into the fire where this heifer is burned. Now, what is that a picture of? Picture of Jesus being consumed by the wrath of God. We have to always remember that part of our faith story. That on the cross, when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason Jesus sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane is he knew that he was going to receive the righteous punishment that as fully God before the foundations of the earth. Jesus knew how abhorrent that sin was. We always think, man, the cross physically would be awful. We can't even fathom the spiritual ramifications of that. Jesus literally experienced hell on earth in our place. 
That's why we rejoice in Jesus. That's why we're unashamed to say we believe in Jesus because Jesus did for us what nobody would do for us, which is stand in our place and receive all the punishment that I deserved for my garbage and you deserve for your garbage, all because of his great love. It's powerful. It's the gospel. But all of these pictures right here in this telling of the purification by the red heifer. Now, what's interesting is after this is done in verse seven, it says the priest shall wash his clothes and shall bathe in water. And afterward, he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. So what this is saying is now is that with the burning of the red heifer and the slaughtering and the blood, now you have this cleansing ritual where the clothes are taken off. He's bathed. He's he's brought back in, but he's ceremonially unclean for a season. And so we've been talking about this a lot. Not only is there health concerns, and this was very unique in that culture. Oftentimes we forget that we wash our hands. You go to the bathroom if you're in a restaurant and employees need to wash their hands because we realize that sickness can be passed through all these different things. And so when an animal was slaughtered, this cleansing ritual, part of it was to protect God's people from disease running through uh, biological elements like blood and flesh and all these things. We often forget that that's part of the sacrificial system, that God cares about the simple health and well-being of his people. And God wanted to protect them. But also it is a reminder that we are continually needing to be cleansed again. The finished work of Jesus is finished, but you and I know that life happens. And we're constantly, not that we need to get born again again, but we're constantly coming to say, Lord, cleanse me. I'm sure for many of you, you've walked through your day today and there's been some things that have gone on, things that you've heard, things that have been hurled in your direction that you're like, man, God, I need you to wash away the negativity and the garbage and the gossip and the sin and all this stuff. That stuff kind of latches onto us a little bit, doesn't it? In the work of ministry for these priests, you end up getting bombarded by all this stuff and you're like, Lord, I want you to wash me. I want you to cleanse me. And don't miss the fact, and you guys know this, when you take a bath or you take a shower, it is refreshing, isn't it? There's an element of refreshment that comes. And don't miss that. For Eliezer, as he's doing all this work, God's like, no, and there's going to be a time of refreshment. And although he's ceremonially unclean, it is a time of relaxation for him. Right there. And that's a good thing. You all need times to be refreshed, especially after you're involved in self-sacrificial service. You take some time and you allow yourself to be refreshed, a time of inactivity. It's also a great reminder that God doesn't need you to keep the world going around. You know that. That's one of the reasons Sabbath was there. Because we need a reminder to say, the world will keep spinning around without my help. I am not God. And Oftentimes, inactivity is the only way. And that's also the reason why many of us struggle to be inactive. Because there's a part of our fallenness that says, everything will not be okay unless I'm involved in it. Brothers and sisters, that's idolatry, isn't it? God can be God really good without our involvement. And we are the ones who need to learn that. Jesus is real. God requested a perfect offering from the people as a sacrifice to him. 
As Pastor Daniel explained, all of the sacrifices culminate in God's perfect Son, Jesus. Jesus did everything to please the Father, just as we should always give Him our best. Walking with Jesus is one of the most amazing, exciting, terrifying, and exhilarating things that we can do in this life. There's always blessings and there's always struggles. So how do we navigate life? A while back, God began to speak to me through the book of Ephesians about living in this messy world as a follower of Jesus. So based on the insights that I got from the text and from my own life, I wrote a book called Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus in Our Messy Lives. In this book, I tackle real life issues and point us to the real Jesus. I'd love to get a copy of that book into your hands. Here's Josh with some more information. That's great news, Pastor Daniel. I know listeners are going to be blessed by this book. We'd love to put a copy of this book into your hands. For all of the listeners who support Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more, we'll send you a copy of Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives as a way to say thanks. Your generous support helps us continue what we're doing and expand. You can get your free copy of Honestly Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives when you visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. Now, here's what's coming up in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share about the actions that defiled the children of Israel and the purification rituals responsible to cleanse them. Listen as we find out how to move on from our own mistakes. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, Wilderness, next time. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.